Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, since season one, I have been a big fan of the crown. And Stephanie caught up with me in about season four. And so now we're both big fans of The Crown in its fifth season. And, you know, the thing now is that we're in now into time in the life of the royal family of England that we, remember, we can actually remember some of the things that they're showing on the episodes. And so it makes it all the more interesting. Like, we were watching an episode, and I said, well, I didn't know a thing about that. You know, and so it's a very interesting thing happening right now. Well, in 1992, the 40th year of Queen Elizabeth II's reign, uh, here's all the things that happened. Not all of them, but a lot of the things that happened. Three of her children separated from their spouses. Prince Andrew separated from Sarah Ferguson. Prince Anne, Princess Anne divorced her husband of 18 years, Mark Phillips. And as you know, Prince Charles and the, the heir to the throne separated from Princess Diana. The family was plagued by scandal in the tabloids. And the British tabloids, by the way, put American tabloids to shame, is all I'm saying. The Inquirer published the transcript of a private conversation between Princess Diana and her friend James Ghibli. Newly separated Sarah Ferguson appeared in tabloid photos, topless, having her feet kissed by American businessman John Bryant. Bryant, excuse me and a private phone conversation between Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles was released. Andrew Morton's book, Diana, Her True Story, the unofficial bi biography of the Princess Diana, was published. And lastly, a fire broke out at Windsor Castle, which, by the way, was her childhood home, where she stayed with her family during World War II and the bombing of, Eng of, of uh, London. And instead of fleeing, they stayed. And it burned for 15 hours. In her annual message to the country, Queen Elizabeth II said, 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. In the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents, it has turned out to be an annus horribilis. A horrible year. And most reporters reported that of all the messages the Queen gave before or since, this was the most personal. Well, given the last few years, we might declare that we have had a ani horribilis, horrible years, right? For many, the last presidency brought difficult and challenging government leadership, division between our political parties and people of our country, the rise in fascist and racist demonstrations like the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, violence against black Americans and particularly black men, and the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Of course, then there is the COVID-19 pandemic. You remember 2020, or have you put it out of your mind? A difficult year, the loss of countless lives, 
the isolation, the struggles of parents with young children, and the challenges faced by schools and university teachers and students. Oh, and then there's a rise in gun violence. Of course, the shootings at Robb Elementary School in Valde. But even this morning, we learned that five people were killed at a gay bar in Colorado Springs by gun violence. Well, and the news in, in the church is not exactly rosy either. I mean, churches that were ill-equipped when COVID-19 broke out tried to move to online. And for more than a year, we were online. We had no on-site worship. And then when we did go back to on-site worship, so many churches had no idea how to do hybrid worship, how to do a worship service that appealed to people online and yet also met the needs of people in the, that were on-site. Clergy have left the ministry in droves. And the lack of the expected return of people to on-site worship has less left us with this sense of a horrible few years. Well, I want to talk about what was happening with Jeremiah. And you may wonder why we're using a Hebrew text to talk about the reign of Christ. I think you'll see by the end how it applies. And we must always remember our Jewish predecessors because they have given us a door into an understanding of our relationship with God, and especially then as we go on to discover the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I, I went to seminary at Perkins School of Theology, and I was blessed to have as one of my professors, uh, Reverend Dr. John Holbert, who is a brilliant Hebrew scholar, I mean, absolutely brilliant, and so smart-alecky. You know, he always had smart-alecky things to say and kept me laughing the whole time I took a Hebrew class or I took an Old Testament class with him. And I've drawn on a lot of what he taught me for this sermon today. So let me, um, you know, an examination of the words of our scripture reading today. I believe, even after we think of, about the Annas, whatever that word is, horrible, the Annas horrible. I never, I didn't take Latin, so I have a trouble with that. But um, you know, I I think that we may well come to the end of this sermon and realize that we can say with the Apostle Paul, who said it to the church at Corinth. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, or we might say, since we are engaged in this life, we do not lose heart. Now, you may not think that when we go through the first part of this, because I'm going to tell you what Jeremiah was up to. But I want to say something about the words we just heard. The, the book of the prophet Jeremiah is long, and it's got every kind of literary device, you know, uh, that you can find in, the, in Scripture. And so it makes it a difficult uh, book to read and also to preach on. But in this text that we hear this morning, I want to make some things clear. First of all, um, while 
what Jeremiah has to say about the shepherd and the sheep can apply to real shepherds and real sheep, that's really not what Jeremiah is talking about. Jeremiah is talking about the kings and rulers of Israel and Judah and is also talking about the people as the sheep of Israel and Judah. And so what he is trying to get them to hear in his metaphor is that you have had kings who have scattered you and you are a scattered people because of their lack of faithfulness, because they didn't do what every king is supposed to do, do justice and be righteous, especially for those who are most marginalized. I mean, so he uses this as a metaphor. Further, and, and the people hearing this or reading this would have known that. I mean, they, they would have gotten that immediately. And they would have also gotten it because it's a great metaphor for people who were rural at the time, who saw real shepherds and real sheep out wandering around. The other thing uh, Jeremiah speaks of is a righteous branch that David is being raised up for the house of David. And, and what I have to be clear about here is he's not talking about Jesus. Now, for centuries, Christians have looked at the pro prophetic scriptures and seen Jesus in that, and that's fine. Because what we hear Jeremiah saying is that a true king, a true ruler will be just and righteous and will attend to the needs of the people, especially those who are marginalized. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus, right? So it makes sense that for centuries people went back and looked at that. But, but Jeremiah is not talking about Jesus. Jeremiah is talking about God doing a new thing and bringing people new leaders who will care for them and attend to them. And Jesus happens to be one in a line of faithful leaders. And more for us, right, as a redeemer. So I just want us to be clear about that because I don't want to diminish the role of the Hebrew prophecy and witness. Um, so as we consider um, the reign of Christ in this text, we come to see that the reign of Christ looks like uh, leaders and people who do justice and they love kindness and they do mercy in the way that the prophets told us to and in the way that Jesus showed us, right? And so um, I think that this is an important thing for us to know and, and understand. What we see in these verses is what Jesus' work and ministry in the world actually was. So our reading today begins with one of my favorites, and I'm sure yours, woe is you. It's a woe, it's an oracle of woe. Jesus uses it, you know, in the, in the uh, Gospel of Luke. Woe to you. He does all the blessings, and then he says woe to you. Woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are this, woe to you who are that. And here, uh, as a lot of prophets do, this is an oracle of woe, a prophetic attack 
on individuals or groups that have denied or impeded the work of God in the world. The objects of this woe, in this case, are the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of God's pasture, who are the kings and rulers of Israel and Judah. The kings that Jeremiah experienced during his time of prophecy, and he experienced a lot of them because he was around for a while, uh, he, he particularly uh, revered King Josiah who was considered one of the great kings of Israel. It was his sons and his sons' sons that followed him that Jeremiah has a problem with. Uh, so Jeremiah feels like the kings after Josiah were the ones that were evil shepherds. They, were, they weren't good leaders, and they scattered the people. The prophet Ezekiel spoke about the shepherds too and, and said it this way his portrayal of the, the shepherd said would be kings who eat the fat clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the fatlings these final kings of Judah were more wolf than they were shepherd and as a result of the evil kings uh, they and because they did not attend to, they did not care for, they did not look after the people, the people eventually were scattered uh, as a result of their lack of leadership, their lack of justice, their lack, lack of righteousness. King Jeho, I practice this and practice this. Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and then his son. Jehoiakim, Judah surrendered to Babylon. And all the great people were either killed or carried away to Babylon. But remember, we do not lose heart because if we had read on in the book of Jeremiah, we would hear three promises of God. First, God promises that a remnant of the scattered sheep who have been too long away from their real home will be returned to their land and this will be the work of God. The good, kind, loving leaders God will bring later. The first work of God will be to bring the people back. The second divine promise is for this righteous branch who will be raised up for the house of David. Uh, again, Jeremiah used as a metaphor that the people would understand. A branch as a symbol to say the tree of David has not been destroyed. The, the shoot of Jesse comes up, right? And even though Israel and Judah have been conquered, when this branch appears, Judah will be rescued and Israel will live in safety. This is the promise of God. And the third promise is actually astonishing because if we had read further, we would have discovered that the scattered people of God will be returned and gathered up into a new homecoming greater than the exodus of God's people from Egypt. So, Jeremiah's saying, you just hang on. Better days are coming. And better leaders will finally appear who do God's work of justice and righteousness. Now, I think that's pretty remarkable. But you know, when you're in the bad place and you're waiting 
for the promise, the promises, or for something to change? Well, we have one of those horrible years, right? I mean, it's just hard. And I don't know if you're this way, but I'm not good at waiting. I'm not good at waiting for my pizza to come. <laughs> I'm not good at waiting for Sydney to get out the door when we're in a hurry. I am not good. <laughs> I'm not good at waiting, and I bet you aren't either, because we're used to putting things in the microwave and all of a sudden getting it, or hitting the button for Amazon, or whatever. I mean, we just, you know, things come to us quickly, <laughs> quickly, quickly, quickly. And so, you know, little solace for us that God says, I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring it. You just hang on. Yeah. But I want you to think for a moment of a time when you have been scattered. Your life has been scattered. Your life has been torn apart. Your heart is broken. I just want you to think of that. And maybe it's not something you did. Maybe it was done to you. Like the people of Israel had bad leaders. Or maybe it was something you did. I mean, did you feel in that time that it would never end? Did you think that there would never be a day when you awakened and you wouldn't feel pain? Perhaps you feel like you're in a scattered time now, that things will never be set right. You will never again know true joy. Or maybe Thanksgiving is that for you. I kind of like the Thanksgiving that... James talked about. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the good, you know, that it's good. It's a good time. It's good to be with people you love and to tell them thank you. And I like that. And, and a lot, for a lot of us, that's what we get. But for some people, families are fractured. And I know for me that my family, when we got together at Thanksgiving, after all three, my, three of us, my older sister, me, and my younger sister were grown and adult, we came back and we acted like we were teenagers at Thanksgiving. I mean, we reverted back to our teenage years, right? Or maybe you don't have family at all with whom to gather. Or maybe you live in that half-light of depression. Or maybe finding something to be grateful for is just beyond you right now. That's okay. Years ago, years and years ago, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was single, and I'd been single a long time and, and just very, very, very lonely. And I met a guy, and, and we started dating, and, you know, I had this idea that this was going to be the one, this would last forever, and then he dropped me. <coughs> and I went into a blue funk and thought my life wasn't worth anything, you know? And it went on and on. It was that sort of half-light that you live in. And uh, I remember I, I just quit eating. And my parents saw me one day, and my mother got so upset that I'd lost so much weight that she, my dad went to the grocery store and came back with bags and bags of groceries, thinking that that would help. Um, and... And I, I thought I could, and 
I went to my sister's in Austin, and, and she just tells me because that's all she knew to do, and that was good, but I was just broken. And I was so lonely. And, and then one day I was standing in my bedroom, and it was like I had a two-story house, and I looked out onto the, onto the tree there. It was the most beautiful cardinal. And I had remembered my mother saying that cardinals were good luck. And so I screwed up my energy and started getting out of bed and doing what I needed to do and all that. But that ache in my heart, it was hard for it to go away. And, you know, I know that pain. And if any of you are living in that pain or trouble is going on in your life, I want you to hear the promise of God for you. They still exist. God will bring you back from your scatteredness into wholeness. God will raise up faithful people of justice and righteousness who will be with you to attend to you. And God will bring you home to God. My professor, John Holbert, said, what is important about each of these promises is that God is the God of the new and the now. God is not stuck in the past or living in the past. God is the God of the new and the now, and that is always happening, always. Richard Rohr says, in this broken and liminal space we sometimes find ourselves in where we, not, we don't want to go back, but we don't know how to go forward, we're stuck on this threshold, is the most powerful time in our lives to encounter God. It is the most teachable time in our lives to draw close to God. It is a time when we can learn and thrive and become what God is calling us forth to be, but we won't get there without some of the struggle. And so I think that's a very important thing for us to remember, especially when we're caught in the horrible year. During that year of my life, when I got dumped, uh, I don't carry any bad feelings about it I anymore, can you tell? Uh, <laughs> I, I was a big fan of Dear Abby, and I guess if I were using a contemporary person, I would use Brene Brown, but I'm going to use Dear Abby because that's what I remember. I would read her columns faithfully, and I remember picking up the newspaper, which also dates me, but picking up the newspaper <laughs> and reading the Dear Abby column, and it was somebody who was brokenhearted a lot like me and wanted to know how, you know, how to do, what to do. And she said, well, you give thanks, and then you give. If you want out of this, you find a way to have gratitude. It can be the smallest thing. And then you find someone who needs what you have to give. You go and help serve food at a Thanksgiving dinner at the, home, at the unhoused, I think that's what the word is now, the, the place for unhoused people, right? Or you find somebody in the neighborhood that would really benefit from getting some deviled eggs <laughs> or might find joy in a pie that you bring. I mean, Victoria talked about that last week in the children's message. 
This is how you come to the place of thriving again. So if, if that's where you are in life, the practice of giving thanks and practicing gratitude, the practice of giving thanks and giving and finding someone who needs what you have to give. And when we do that, we are ushering in the reign of Christ. Do you understand? We are ushering in what God has promised to give us wholeness, to, to bring us home, to raise up people who will attend and care for us. This is what we do as people of faith. Oh, and by the way, I came out of that horrible year. And God, who seemed so far away, showed up and did a new thing in my life. A thing that led me to seminary and led me here. And that same God will show up for you and do a new thing in you as well. You can go to the bank on it. Amen?